This is Ed again, Obey's Bookshelf. We are going to continue now with our part two of my short story entitled, Sometimes the Dreams are Dismal. This is part two. The children kept coming. They came as the seasons came, and like the seasons, each child had their own peculiar being and uniqueness. Ray, the first male child, grew up, married, and settled down into a refinement, not of his choice, but of necessity. Stu had a complex imagination that would start its journey very early in life. He did so many things he said he wouldn't do. Jane made a mistake and married too early. Dawn was beautiful and resolute, but painfully depressed and unapproachable. Dennis became the kind of brother that made the term worthwhile. Mary Kay stayed with one man too long and regretted life. Albert, in retrospect, only reasoned matter. He had no feelings. Stanley lived only for passion and never found what he sought for. Sharp had found another place to live for his growing family. It was larger than the old place by two rooms. A toilet was still on the outside, but closer to the back door of their place. A kitchen, living room, and two bedrooms were now their new world until they were forced to move again. On cold nights when the old stove was filled with coal supplied by the old man who pushed his business, they would hurtle together and feel the warmth of each other's love and body. Perhaps this is how bonds were forged and the ingredients of family ties were created. One hard night when food was especially scarce and the ideas of next meals were solely contemplated, Sharp's wife looked at her children and wondered about their future. Her thoughts were made all the more real when Sharp would Sunder in and say quietly, didn't make much today. Yet praying was a tool for her. She had learned to do so in earnest as a child in the South. Her thoughts started to reflect on her growing up in the South, where her father's rules were strict especially when they centered on sitting at the kitchen table and guests were at their home. Once, when she and her sisters were at the table, full of Sunday visitors, the sisters had made the mistake of acting like all young children. They played at the table. Her own father, the self-proclaimed janitor at their church, 
when the place needed heat and cleaning, was waiting for quietness to settle in so that he could say grace. He spoke to his daughters in a low, quiet tone. Girls, he said, you kids be quiet. Sometimes the excitement of the kids' games take precedence over fatherly direction. This time his voice was louder and sterner than before. The invited guest looked at him in a questionable sense of disbelief. He had spoken twice to his kids. In the South, parental control for the man, even albino men, was always equated with leadership and respect. Losing those two things, even for a moment, was tantamount to being broken in the eyes of others. To be broken was not to be a man. So the second time he spoke to them sealed their fate. The tone of his voice caught them by surprise and made them stop playing at once. Fear assured them their instincts was right. When dinner is over, I will see you all, he said promisingly. After dinner, they sat quietly more than before when they had been given each other princes of delight at the kitchen table. The silence was the worst part. When the meal was over and the guests had left, he said, Cree. His voice was slow and direct. You the oldest. You know better. Go out to the barn and wait for me there, he continued. The mother, steeped in the Southern tradition and yes for fear, remained silent. She loved her daughters and her husband. Yet there is a part of reason which puts love in perspective. Her need to belong with this ostracized people this time was more a need for her existence among them than the few minutes of punishment her daughter would experience. The younger sister watched her go out to the barn. She had watched with fear and knowledge. Her sister was the oldest, they would always say. Perhaps it was an excuse. After all, was she not just as guilty? The barn was small in size, nothing to talk about in terms of value. It housed some chickens that ran at her approach and an old dog that somehow sensed the scene about to be performed. The dog had witnessed the same act before, this time with another star in the same familiar role, with the same villain winning again. To ask for mercy she would not do. Somehow the thought of that made her angry. Yet her father entered the barn, walked over to the post and unhooked a rope that was used to pull tree stumps from the hard, dusty ground. Placing an end over a wrench, he threw the other end over a beam in the ceiling. Come here, 
His voice was stern, but not angry. He believed in order, respect, discipline. The sanity of those things and what they meant to all their safety. Taking her hands, he tied them together with the other end of the rope. She stood without resisting in the middle of the barn floor with only a thin, sheer dress for the protection of her body. Slowly, her hands were drawn up over her head. She looked as if she had already surrendered in this most helpless of positions. She felt her toes barely touch the dirt floor. Suspended, she swung ever so slowly between heaven and earth. She thought of the picture on her wall at the Sunday school. The picture of a sad-faced white man with his arms stretched out also, looking up toward heaven. Her father did not speak again to her, but took a large black belt from a post and threw it back over his head. His eyes were gazing for some time at her. The only tears were his, the only sound, the dog's yelp, as the belt hit her abidal skin. Perhaps that was why she loved the man in the picture so much. She had heard that he never said a word when they had beaten him also. Remembering suddenly where she was actually at, Cree's body shook quietly at the long past memory of that time at home. She must stop thinking so hard about those times. The months advanced with the steadfastness of a deliberate army. Months were to be filled with real, not continued dreams. Sharp had lost his job. Winter had set in. Hunger was at home with them. Food became an art of inventiveness. Odd jobs would sometimes put rice and potatoes on the table. Sometimes the potatoes would be put in stews, sometimes alone. He would at times bring in pieces of meat for their meals. Miss Larger never asked him from where the meat came. On a very cold night in January, after all that could move in the house ceased moving and were asleep, Shaw spoke to his wife. His voice was low and his words were careful, direct, and serious. Cree, he said, looking into her alert eyes, I might have to leave you all. End of part two.